Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Live from Brisbane. Live from Brisbane. What's up, everyone? How you doing? I am Ben Kissel. I'm Marcus Parks, everybody. How you doing? I'm good, my man. So we have a little bit of time together, and then this will be, at the other, the second half of this episode, I'll be blibber-blabbering myself from Sydney, but we're in Brisbane right now. We're about to do our final show of the tour. Oh, man. It's been so fucking awesome. Unbelievable. Australia is incredible. So... Um, we have a lot to get to. It seems as if a lot has happened in America since we <laughs> left, particularly the Democratic debates. So we'll talk a little bit about that while we still have Mr. Marcus Parks with us. So we'll start with that, then we'll talk a little bit about some San Francisco laws, and I'll talk uh, a little bit about what's going on in more wonky uh, policy stuff. Of course, Donald Trump is currently at the G20 summit, mm. and he is having so much fun. <laughs> Him and his buddy Putin just <laughs> fucking yucking like a couple of good time clowns. Oh, absolutely, man. Just, you know, living the living the life of the final scene or the final act of Requiem for a Dream with Vladimir <laughs> Putin with a big old boy in between them as people throw dollar bills in their direction. So happy to see them having political sex with one another. Donald Trump literally laughed, literally laughed when he said to uh, Vladimir Putin, oh, don't go meddling in our elections again, Mr. President. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's, I don't want to use the T word, treasonous, but it is like you are publicly um, courting more interruption in our elections from a foreign adversary. I don't know how else to say it. Treason kind of seems like the only way you can say that. He is openly courting the help of a foreign adversary who does Ugh. not have our country's best interests in mind. He's courting his help to yeah. win re-election because he got him elected the first time. Well, he certainly freaking helped. It was a perfect, perfect storm of events. Hey. Thank God. Yep. In, a, in an election that close, then you could <sighs> say the Russians popped him over the top. Sure, you absolutely could. Eight, uh, 80,000 votes in the blue wall states, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Democratic debate. Uh, both of these debates were interesting. Yeah, they were. I thought the first debate was a little bit... It, I don't know. It was Elizabeth Warren really stood out to me in the first debate. She did. Uh, she had policy ideas. She had policy answers. Beto O'Rourke was the exact opposite. I'm not sure exactly what happened with Beto O'Rourke. It seems like he is one of the 
uh, basketball players from the movie Space Jam. An alien <laughs> came down from uh, from planet God knows what, sucked out all of his political energy and all of his political uh, ability, and he just looked totally out of place. He looked out of place. He just he needs to go home. At he this really point. does. Like, like he needs to go home, and he needs to go run for Senate, and he needs to be in the Senate for eight years, and then yep. maybe he can come back. But he just he does not have the he doesn't have the experience. Uh, to go any further it, at this point. You know, it really doesn't seem like it. And again, this is why it's so important not to buy your own hype. Yeah. Uh, you know, even with us, we get people um, who speak with us and they say, you know, I, we love you and all these things. And it's so sweet. It is wonderful. Um, and if we have nice articles written about us, like Fangoria or whatever it might be, it's like, this is really cool. Thank you. But you always have to have a level of like, that this is not that that is really sweet, mm-hmm. but if you buy into it too much, then you end up announcing your presidency on the cover of Vanity Fair, looking like an urban cowboy. <laughs> um, so that yeah, is really gotta, what happened. You still gotta hate yourself like a little. Bit. Well, you have to be grateful yeah. for the fact that you have somehow convinced people to love you <laughs> because our parents didn't. No, I'm just joking. But really, Beto, it seemed like he bought into his own press, and then whoever was advising him. Every wrong decision that could be made was made. Announcing on the cover of Vanity Fair, not just because no one reads Vanity Fair any longer and because magazines are basically dead, but because it is one of the most elitist, It's at least in perception, yeah. it's one of the most elitist magazines out there. So how are you going to try to run a grassroots campaign or have a populist message or have a message that, like, you're fighting for the middle class when you announce on the covers of Vanity Fair. I just don't understand. And I think uh, Beto O'Rourke's whole vibe during the uh, debate was very Obama-esque. Like, he had the same mannerisms, he mm-hmm. kind of spoke kind of somewhat the same, which Obama-esque is fine eight years from now. If you're Ten Obama. years from now, 12 years from now. But it's the same way people call politicians Kennedy-esque today. Sure. Which Kennedy-esque was great in the 90s. Not in the bedroom, though. Not when it comes to... <laughs> being Kennedy-esque now might be a political detriment, whether it's crashing your car and leaving a woman to die, or whether it be cheating, cheating on Jackie O. Oh, God. What was wrong with Jackie O? Nothing My at all. My goodness. But I think I think Beto O'Rourke uh, definitely bought into the hype of being the next Obama. Like he the next, really did. The next guy with like a little bit of experience, but yep. you know, good ideas that could go to the top. He bought into that. Yep. He became a, he just he went full force into the Obama personality. And yes. it's like, dude, you're not Obama. You're Beto O'Rourke. Be but, be Beto. But let's not forget, Obama was also a junior senator out of Chicago. I mean, yeah. out of Illinois. So he was actually he had more political. Granted, I believe. First termer, yeah, or he had one term under his belt. Yeah, one term, but he's still a senator. But he was still a junior senator um, out of Illinois. So obviously, right now, Beto O'Rourke does not hold any political position. He has no political office. Yeah. So I think that he bought into his own hype, and he had some people around him that, you know, wanted to ride the coattails all the way to the White House. And unfortunately, I think they'll be, uh, you know, going home relatively soon. Because as far as I'm concerned, I, as you know. Listeners of the show, I, I, I'm super happy we have a huge field. The Democratic Party has mm-hmm. a huge field. That makes me really happy. The marketplace of ideas is open for business. But now, as the debates begin, uh, we're starting to see people who showed up and people who don't show up. And you're going to have to start skimming out some of the fat. 
Well, I think there are people in like these kind of un- more undercard people uh, in these debates that I like. And, you know, speaking of the mar- marketplace of ideas, like I like Jay Inslee. Jay like, Inslee did a great job, of course, the governor out of Washington. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, he comes forth as uh, the climate change candidate. That's you know, his that, issue. That's his issue. That's yeah. him bringing it to the forefront. Uh, and he just he looks like a vice president. He does. He's got the vice president head, that gigantic fucking melon. And if it would be someone who isn't uh, as progressive as he is on climate change, uh, then maybe he would make a good vice president. But again, if it is someone like an Elizabeth Warren, I don't think she would really need to go the Jay Inslee route. And Washington isn't necessarily a state that the Democrats desperately need to win because I think they have it locked up. Yeah. But then again... That was said in 2016, <laughs> so I, I don't know. You, you, you never know. Well, I, I mean, I don't think Jay Inslee is actually going to be on any ticket in any universe. Uh, but he just he's got good vice president vibes. Sure. And, and the man's just got good vibes uh, all around. Yeah, and he sticks to that message. And if you look at the Washington economy, Washington's economy is actually doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has passed some of the more progressive uh, climate change bills or climate bills Um that uh, that industry seems to be able to work with as well. So he does understand we have to work with industry when it comes to climate change because that's really, at the end of the day, it might be hard to swallow, but that's the only way anything gets done Yeah. Uh, because this is a capitalist country at the end of the day. So yes, Inslee did a good job. Beta was really the one that stood out as bad. But Elizabeth Warren, I think she came in hyper-focused, Continuing to be on message, Elizabeth Warren, watch out for her February 3rd in Iowa of next year, man. She is doing, and obviously not politically whatsoever, but she is doing what Rick Santorum was able to do in 2012 in Iowa, what other politicians who have been able to do in, two, uh, in Iowa, going to every single county, reaching out to the people. And don't be surprised if she ends up having a really big Super Tuesday. And then from there on, who knows? A lot of polls are showing her second behind Biden. But let's move on to the second debate here, because it seems as if those polls are really tightening it up on Mr. Former Vice President, former Senator Joe Biden. Go home, <laughs> you old fuck. Oh, Go home. Well, all right. Get so, out of here. So yeah. we, we got, and also in the first debate, Castro did a very good job, kind of came out of nowhere. He was uh, polling in you know, always under 4%. So he was able to make a strong showing for himself as well. So these debates are, again, showing people, showing the American people uh, what these candidates are actually able to do on the stage. Yeah, and de Blasio trotted out all of his greatest hits. (laughs) (laughs) De Blasio, okay. Uh, There were a couple of things that he said that I liked. And that's always been the thing about de Blasio is that like, he's got some things that he said, and I like his energy sometimes. Sure, whatever. I mean, I love the idea of pre-K. That's wonderful, but don't put them in schools that are full of lead paint. Mm -hmm. That's the problem in New York. NYCHA, the New York City Housing Association, they are making... New York, parts of New York are just as bad as Detroit. It's just as bad as, as uh, you know, some of the worst cities in this country when it comes to safety of children in their own freaking homes. Yeah, and do not listen to Bill de Blasio when he talks about uh, lower income families, when he talks about helping them. New York has been bought and sold. New York has been bought and sold. Yeah, it's like, uh, where were you when fucking Amazon was coming in and trying to kick out half of Long Island City? Exactly, and you know, the funny thing is Amazon is actually coming to New York, but they're going to pay taxes. Yeah. Because we said no, and then Amazon had to re, you know, renegotiate, so they're going to make it a smaller headquarters. I don't know why... 
de Blasio, and this is just kind of inside New York baseball here. New York is still a massive economy. It's one of the biggest economies in the world. If New York was a country, I think it would be in the top five economies, along with California, which mm-hmm. is huge. California's economy, as a matter of uh, as a matter of fact, speaking of Australia, is larger than Australia's <laughs> economy, Jeez. which is nuts. <laughs> so I don't know why de Blasio was like, thank you so much, Jeff Bezos, for coming to New York. Our, we just, we're so desperate. We're fine. Yeah. It's still New York City. We're doing great. And by the way, de Blasio has been trotting out his son, Dante, since uh, what, 2006? Yes. No, his, well, I would say 2010, but So his yes. wife is African-American, and so naturally they have two black kids, and his son has an afro, and that was his entire campaign, was go with the fro. And I'm like, I'm not voting based on not even just your hairstyle, but your kid's hairstyle. I don't give a shit. I get if he it. was Norwegian and had a huge fro, I'd be like, well, that is interesting. I get it. And, uh, and, and I get I get the message that he's coming with, and I agree with his message. Like, I, I agree with what he's saying. But watching de Blasio on a campaign stage was like watching de Blasio's election campaign 2.0. Yeah, it's, talking, it was crazy to see. I mean, it's yes. just it's the same old fucking De Blasio. It's it's just lies. And of course, with De Blasio, there's a rule. He had two people that bribed him. Both of those people went to jail. He accepted the bribe money, but the the rule in New York State is that the politician who receives the bribe doesn't go to jail. So, <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah. and I like and I like Castro. But speaking of that, before we move on to the second, and well, Castro now, of course, he's out of this. Is the Castro out of Florida? Or the San, Cas- San Antonio. This he is the, the Castro out of Antonio. Texas because yeah. there's one in each. Okay. Yeah, it's the Castro out of Texas, and I, and I like Castro a lot. Like I, I liked what Castro had to say. Uh, but what did you think about Booker? Well, Cory Booker, I think, is fine. It's really hard because he's another guy out of Newark. And um, it's I have I sort of have the same thing as I do with de Blasio. I like what he says. Yeah. I think he connects with, uh, with a group of people that feel as if, you know, he is addressing issues that are affecting, you know, the urban communities that uh, other politicians just don't have experience in. Newark is one of the more difficult places to be a politician. He's been a politician out of there for a long time. Our good friends, the Lucas Brothers, uh, check out all of their comedy content. They're badass people. We love them. They're big fans of him. Huge However, fans. if you look at the data coming out of Newark, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's doing very well. Yeah. That's the problem there. Wait, so, really But, you know, yeah, and it also really pisses me off that he was one of these Democrats who campaigned on cheaper medicine and then poo-pooed the idea of getting cheap medication from Canada. Yeah. I just, that kind of stuff really pisses me off with the millions and millions and billions of dollars Big Pharma spends on getting their politicians elected. That just makes me livid. But then again, I mean, it is, it's par for the course. Yeah. And out of the, out of the first debate, like I would say like Castro and uh, Booker, uh, I really like what, I mean, I like what they have to say and I like their messages. They seem like great cabinet members, but out of everyone, Warren seemed like the only leader. Yeah. Like Warren was the one, like when Warren spoke, she spoke very little. I mean, comparatively, like mm-hmm. compared to, especially compared to Cory Booker, who kind of took over the night. Well, and that's the problem. Sometimes yeah. less is more. Yes, yeah, sometimes not, less. Not Andrew Yang less <laughs> is more. And my boy yeah. Yang Gang, we'll talk about uh, yeah. debate number two here. 
Uh, going, let's let's just talk about debate number two right yeah. now. But what I'm saying is that Elizabeth Warren sounds sounded fantastic. And yeah. I think Elizabeth Warren was the one that I I believed Elizabeth Warren, yeah. and Elizabeth Warren uh, was the only one who made me actually feel something, and that's yeah. why I like Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is she's new politics, and I fucking love it. She's new politics at the at the bright young age of 69. I think. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, I, I love it. No, she is she has longevity, and she has a career. Of standing up for the values that she's been standing up for since day one. She hasn't changed one bit, and I really, really like her. And I think what we learned from debate number one is if she was toe-to-toe um, with Donnie, I think she would do just fine. She would do fucking... Because that was always... I mean, I've said it That's on this the show big before. Thing. That was that was my that was my big uh, concern when it came to Elizabeth Warren. Yes. I was like, he's going to get on stage, and he's going to fucking eviscerate her. Uh, he would be... Uh, I think he would be domed. I think, like, I think she be. would take him down easily. Yes, I, I think that's extremely possible. So let's go on to debate number two. Speaking of people who could take on Donald Trump, Kamala Harris came out firing. Woo. She was definitely a prosecutor. She was wearing a prosecutor cap and she was out there uh, litigating really a strong case for her to be president of the United States. Now the question is, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, Kamala was really the one who went after Joe Biden. And the question is, with Joe Biden's performance, what did it all mean? Did it really hurt him? Or is this just something people are going to forget? Well, interestingly enough, we have some polling data, and I have really not seen this dramatic or drastic of a decline just because of one debate performance. We did see, if you recall, in 2012, when Obama first debated Mitt Romney, Obama was not ready. Like, he was just, I mean, busy being president, sure, and Mitt Romney had a primary process that he went through. He was, you know, just on point and technically looked better and sounded better than Obama. And then, of course, Obama came back in the second, too. Biden looked like he has never debated in his entire life, and he looked so unpresidential, and he played into the narrative that, as Marcus said, he's old and not uh, energetic enough to take on someone like Donald Trump. So the American people are watching this, and he dropped 10 percentage points <laughs> in the poll of polls. That is, He went from 41.5% to 31.5%, and the inverse of that is uh, Kamala Harris got a 9-point bump, so now she is at 16.6%. So these debates... I am happy to see that people are watching them, taking them seriously, and saying, we need someone. Because now we're, I mean, 2016, I think people just, they didn't quite understand how theatrical these debates are going to be. And what, you know, what the people are actually looking for. It really is emotion. It's energy. It's connecting with that working class. It's passion. It's connecting with that working class who feels disaffected. And it just seems like Joe Biden. Didn't want to be, he had, he was like Herbert Walker going against Clinton in 92. Yeah. Didn't seem like he wanted to be there. He didn't seem to have answers, even when it comes to things that he, so for example, Kamala Harris, she wants to get him on busing and these sorts of things. When Kamala Harris was a prosecutor, and I've talked about it on this show extensively, she was brutal. Yeah. She was a extremely hardcore prosecutor. Uh, She brags about separating the family from, uh, uh, children from their parents because their parents, for truancy, for example. Mm-hmm. She was the one who said, if your kid is truant a certain amount of days from school, we are going to take your child away, yeah. which is abhorrent. 
As a matter of fact, there was a homeless woman whose children uh, were uh, were skipping school because they're freaking homeless and maybe they have other, uh, you know, they're trying to survive. And she took her children away and then basically bragged about it. So Biden does have things that he can spit back at, uh, mm-hmm. at Kamala, but he just couldn't. Even when it comes to immigration, you know what I didn't hear? I did not hear four letters, D-A-C-A, DACA. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Biden... Talk about DACA. Not at all. Deferred action for child arrival, I mean, childhood it, arrivals. Such, I mean, everyone else was talking about it. Like, everyone else was talking about bringing it back. Everyone else yes. was mentioning it. And now it's going to the Supreme Court. And I'm like, this is a piece of legislation that you need to be like, I was the VP working with Obama. We got DACA passed. Yeah. We saved 800,000 children from being deported. Instead, he allowed Rachel Maddow to create the narrative that Obama, and this is a false equivocation. And you know me, I've been critical of Obama. But Trump and Obama on immigration are fucking opposite. Yeah. I I just hate hate the false equivocation because they're like, Obama deported 3 million people. Well, we still have a system of immigration in this country. But to equate children being locked in cages at the border with Obama deporting people who have committed crimes um, is just, it's, it's abhorrent. And the fact that Joe Biden wasn't able to be like, just fight back a little bit was really upsetting. Joe Biden looked like he was woken up 30 minutes before the debate. Seriously. Grumpy. Uh, he kept repeating the same little phrases over and over again. He does he does this, he has this one vocal tick uh, that Obama actually did too. And it always drove me crazy when Obama did it. And it drives me fucking nuts when Biden does it. They start a statement with, look. Like right. they always say, look. And then they start their statement. It's condescending. Uh, like for me, like Joe Biden is like someone you had a crush on in high school. Right. Uh, and then they call you eight years later after you're already married. It's right. too late. It's, it's too late. It's too late. You, sh- you had your chance. You had your chance back 2016. in 2016. That no. was your chance. That was your window. Right. It's done. You, you missed the window, bud. Guys, if you're like me, you love smelling nice. But schlepping to a department store to shop for cologne is a real pain in the neck. I know I've gotten into a rut of using the same fragrance I got for Christmas four years ago. That's why I'm so excited about today's sponsor, Scentbird. With Scentbird, I found an easy way to have great taste without breaking the bank. Whether it's Versace, Gucci, or Dolce & Gabbana, Scentbird.com keeps me smelling good month after month after month. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service that helps you mix up your cologne or perfume routine. Scentbird is a great way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. They have more than 450 designer brands for you to choose a cologne or perfume from each month. And no matter your style, they have the brands you want. It's the real deal. They carry Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? Scentbird makes it easy to find the perfect fragrance. You can sort colognes and perfumes by brand, occasion, season, style, and more. Check out our user rating and reviews on any fragrance. And once you choose the cologne you want to try, they'll send you a 30-day supply. That's 120 sprays, enough to apply more than four times daily for a month. I got to try Scentbird, and I love their service. I love that they sell smaller amounts of cologne, which makes it easy to change up what I'm wearing without costing an arm and a leg. I took Scentbird's True Scent Quiz and got Abbott NYC's Mojave Cologne, and I've already gotten quite a few compliments. Thanks to Scentbird, I smell amazing! 
And with an exclusive offer just for our listeners, you can get 50% off of your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com slash top hat and use my code top hat for 50% off of your first month. Again, that's S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash top hat for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. And of course, you know, personal reasons, I do think he would have ran. Mm-hmm. Of course, losing Bo, it's extremely sad. So not to, not to uh, demean his decision there at all, but at the end of the day, Joe, if you want to take, this is not, we're not doing another coronation. Yeah. No, it, exactly. We're not doing it. We're not we're not just like given you don't get the you don't get the trophy. You don't get to be the 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 bell of the ball. Like you need to show up and show us that you want to be president of the United States because Donald Trump, that sleepy Joe thing is just he's just gonna be another Jeb Bush. Yeah. That's all people are just gonna see him as another white stale dude and we're like, well, then might as well let the Trumpers have this orange maniac for four more years. Yeah, I, I mean, it does not make any sense to coronate Joe Biden, just like it didn't make any sense with Hillary Clinton. I mean, sometimes shit doesn't work out. Sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes yeah. you lose. You yeah. know, Hillary Clinton, her time, if she was going to do it, was going to be 2008. Her time was not 2016. Joe Biden, well, if he was going to do it, it was 2016. It's not 2021. Like, or it's not 2020. Like, it, it's not... They miss the boat. Sometimes shit well, doesn't work out, and these people need to accept that. Well, I mean, or at least the Democratic Party needs to accept that. But again, we'll see what happens. He's still the front runner. He's still at around thirty percent. So he he's got a little leeway, but he has got to show up from here on out. He does. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't start being retail politics, Joe, um, he's going to get totally screwed over because well, not even screwed over. He's going to rightfully lose. Um, and all of this just. He's doing the corporate fundraising thing. He's doing all of this stuff. And it's just, just be better just, as being a politician. If you can't hit the streets, if you can't knock on doors anymore, I'm sorry, buddy. It's not your time. Yeah. And, and the thing is about Joe Biden is that what the Democrats need is they need someone who will energize young voters to come out to the polls. Because I think everybody is so worried about, you know, how are we going to peel votes away from Trump's base? The answer is you're not. Trump's base is done. They are dug in. They are entrenched. Well, you don't know, be I, surprised. I mean, as we talked about when it came to the 2018 midterms and when it came to 2016, there were a lot of Obama-Trump districts. Well, that's the thing. And I, I would not be surprised to see Trump-Warren districts. But those people that voted, like those districts that flipped from Obama over to Trump, they've already flipped back. Like yeah, those, maybe. Like those probably. Are, those are like those are all those are let's try it out voters. Like yeah. those are you know people who honestly people who don't take their vote very seriously, and yeah. people who like let's just see what happens. Let's see what goes on. Those people have already come back. Like those people a are lot of them done yeah. with Trump. Very few of those people stayed on the stupid fucking Trump train. Like the people right. that are in Trump's camp, people that are Trump supporters today are going to be Trump supporters in November twenty twenty. No matter what, if well, they haven't, le- if they have not abandoned Trump by now, they will not abandon him. No, they anything. definitely won't. No, I mean he's he's got a strong 35 percent for sure, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Um, but thirty thirty five percent is fucking nothing. But now, of course, in 2016, we got uh, really bombarded with misinformation, with memes and stupid tweets, and we're already starting to see that now. And some of the main 
I guess, uh, not is aggregator the right word for these people's Twitter accounts? For example, Donald Trump Jr., uh-huh. there was a tweet that went out. Now, this is from a bot that said Kamala Harris. This was during the debates, and this is the tweet from this dude, uh, Ali Alexander, and probably not a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, says, Kamala Harris is not an American black. She is half Indian and half Jamaican. I'm so sick of people robbing American blacks like myself of our history. It's disgusting. Now using it for debate time at Dem 2. These are my people, not her people. Freaking disgusting. None of that is true. Donald Trump Jr. retweeted it. And then later, you know, he later deleted the tweet. Um, Um, But that kind of stuff is going to be so rampant once again in this election. That is why just watch the debates and really just get off of social media for for this election. Yeah. I don't even know... It's just, uh, it's going to be so, it, the, the amount of misinformation is going to be so unbelievably insane. And if you are on social media, you know, but just make sure with social media, think twice as critically about what you're reading than you would, say, from anywhere else. Yeah, you they're know, calling go- Kamala uh, Dolezal, like all, Rachel Dolezal, all this stuff. It's like, you know, it really is interesting um, to see the the obvious tactics that they're using. Yeah, no, they're trying to sow division. Like they're trying to sow division already. Like this is a. I mean, that right there is a. That is Russian propaganda uh, tactics 101. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's the thing with Putin. These dudes, former KGB man, they know exactly where our fault lines are as a society. It's race. Prime- it's always race. It's race. That's- it's <laughs> economics. It's it's uh, you know absolutely. Um, that was their. They're, like, they're frack. It's political fracking, basically, <laughs> of our country tearing us apart on purpose. Yeah, and that, then Donald Trump, of course, joking about it with the people who are doing it. That's right. really nice. <laughs> that, that was. I mean, that was their big thing on uh, like Facebook back in 2016. Like they would go. It wasn't because that's. I, I think one thing that people don't uh, don't remember is that the Russian troll farms weren't just right wing trolls. Right. Like they weren't just right wing bots. Like they took over Black Lives Matter Facebook pages. Like they right. they were they were playing it from both sides. Absolutely. They were, they were going into the left and they were sowing division and discord as much as they, they literally could set up left. a protest and a counter protest outside of Trump <laughs> outside of Trump Towers. I mean, we should get these guys to produce our live shots. <laughs> They're very good at getting crowds out. They're very good. But shit like that with, with Kamala Harris, like that is that's Russian propaganda one oh one. Absolutely. That that is coming right in and trying to introduce uh, a race issue where yes. none exists no. a race issue that people do not care about that it is it's creating an issue to try to take down uh, a front runner with some damn but, good ideas i mean you know she does not have a clean past but, no she doesn't you know, I, no, no, I'm, no, not, I'm not except for mayor pete i love pete <laughs> now of course pete, speaking of race though and i do think again it wasn't that kamala she did a great job but it wasn't as if, oh my God, she said things that there's no way Joe Biden can come back from. He just didn't do it. Yeah. He just didn't show up to fight. Mayor Pete, he has his own issues going on. Obviously, in South Bend recently, there was a police shooting mm-hmm. and he didn't fire the police chief. He's waiting to hear what happened. The officer says he was uh, attacked with a knife. Of course, we've heard this before. Not all the information is out. The, the procedure is going forward. I think personally, he handled that conversation very good. I think he did too. Um, he, he owned up to it. He owned up to it. He said, yeah, South Bend, we don't have enough black officers. It's a majority black city, um, and it's a minority way. I think it's 5% of black officers and 20 It's not a majority black city, but I think it was 5% of the police force was black and 25% of the city 
is black. 26 and 6%. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's in that wheelhouse there. Um, and he did say, you know, we got to make progress on that. But quite frankly, Mayor Pete, he really did come across as someone, speaking of vice presidents, I would love to see him debate Mike Pence. Oh. I would love it because he is a religious guy. He is a former, you know, um, oh. he, you know, he, he is a military man. And I do think that he would just wipe the floor with Mike Pence. And honestly, for me, as someone who grew up really religious, this religious right movement that allows Donald Trump to be Donald Trump, and they're so corporate and nasty and horrible, there's nothing religious or God-fearing about these no. monsters, it does make me feel good at least that he's just like, you're not, you don't own Christianity. I love it. And he I, called I them he out did on a good it. job. He caught, he called them out on it. Uh, and he was also funny. Like he was very, fu- like his answer of like, you know, what's the first phone call you're going to mi- make? He's like, yeah, we don't know who he's going to piss off more between now and then. Right. Uh, like that was such a fucking great joke. That was, I mean, it was such great. Like he... Uh, came off uh, as I think I would say the most human he did. on that stage. Like he's the one that came off as the most relatable, the most human. He did. Uh, I would right now. I mean, I, I'm saying my my dream ticket mm-hmm. uh, as a, after this last debate, Warren Buttigieg. Warren Buttigieg. Like, that's extremely such a, possible. It's a fan. That would be I think a fantastic ticket. Yeah, and to I, see him go, to see Buttigieg go. I didn't even think about him going up against Pence. That's be so. Great. That's <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm gonna dream about that. Absolutely, Kamala. Also, you know, maybe Kamala Buttigieg or something. I don't think that that Mayor Pete would be ready for the top of a ticket yet. No, he's, he's a little not. too young. He's 37. He's our age. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not. He can legally be president. Though. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, but I do think he showed up. Someone who didn't show up that I was really hoping to show up, someone who I've interviewed before on this show, Andrew Yang, it was interesting. He says his microphone wasn't on, um, but I don't, and then that is possible because it they were doing like the cut mic thing and they all were, that stuff. Of course, they and, had to. That's it. you just have to do that with ten people. You can't put leave every mic on all the time because if you did, yeah. then you just have fucking Kristen Gillibrand uh, screaming the entire absolutely. time. Absolutely, Eric Swalwell being like, "Pass the torch." I'm like, "What is this? <laughs> I is brought the, a torch. Is there a torch?" And then Joe Biden's like, "I'll hold on to the torch." I'm like, "What the fuck is going on here?" God, Swalwell is such a fucking veep character. Good Lord <laughs> Almighty. Um, but Andrew Yang. I do think he's got a lot of good ideas. I think his closing statements were strong. But um, yeah, ne- if he makes it to the next debate, and we'll see who who's in there. You got to speak up. You got to throw your name in. You got to you got to throw your opinions out there, even if there isn't a mic on. Just start screaming. I don't yeah. think you know. Yeah. Um, and then of course there was also my low key favorite was uh, the author Miss Williamson, <laughs> who I she just reminded me of every every like woman in um, oh what's the name of the hippie place. The, uh, the really Sonoma, yeah, yeah. Sonoma. She was or, like or Sedona, Arizona. Sedona, yeah, yeah. yeah. She was just like Donald Trump uses hate. I'm going to use. I'm going to harness love. And I'm like, all right. It's just every- she was. She was honestly though, like low key, one of my favorites because everything her. she said was like floaty and like <laughs> she was like policy decisions are not going to win this debate yeah it's all I'm like, yeah, I don't pro- know, they also help she called policy superficial it's like <laughs> yeah, no, no it's the opposite it's not policy is actually substance what you're doing is the definition of superficial <laughs> but i did like and every time she talked every time she talked like every time she ended a statement i guarantee she was expecting a pop she was saying in her head like i got him yeah i know how to get this crowd I'm going to bring up the Prime Minister of New Zealand. I they're, know. They're going to love it. And it just was not... She just... She just... She needs... Yeah. She needs to go... I mean, there's a fair amount of people that need to go home. Like, she needs to go home. Inslee does. Gillibrand does. 
Uh, de Blasio does, Delaney, Swalwell, Hickenlooper, Bennett, Ryan, yeah. all those people, all those people, uh, oh, O'Rourke, Biden, uh, Beto needs yeah. to go. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, Hickenlooper might stick around longer than you think. He probably will. Colorado yeah, Hickenlooper wasn't bad. Good. No, yeah. he wasn't bad. I, and he, he does. Bad. I actually do like that. He's like, I, I stand against socialism and stuff because at the end of the day, that is just being used for right wing propaganda against the Democratic Party. That so it's true. good to have someone just say that um, because I think that is the vast majority of the American people's um, thinking. But speaking of a socialist, in this mm-hmm. case, the Democratic Socialist, Bernie Sanders, we've got to mention him as well. And I'm going to put Bernie and Biden, double B's, I kind of have the same opinion where Bernie was not nearly, Bernie was better than Biden. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But man, dude. It's just the talking points. And we've heard the talking points. And and the talking points were in 2016 were like revolutionary. But it reminds me of when, like, for example, we have uh, a couple of people. They've seen us in Melbourne. They've seen, they're coming to see us in Brisbane. And they watched us in Sydney. And once they see the third show, they can do our show. Yeah. In their heads. <laughs> it just reminds me of when you go to see a stand-up. Like, when I first went to see a stand-up, uh-huh. I did not know that they did the same material. They did the album. Yeah. They did the album. Yeah. Every single show. So I stayed for two shows. I'm like, I'm going to watch. I forget even who it was. I was like, it's just the same show. Yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> as you get older, like, no fucking shit. Do you have any idea how impossible it would be if it was a different show every yeah. time? Yeah, because that, that's back when you thought that stand-ups just made shit up. It's all make up. <laughs> so, on, on the spot. No, yeah. It's like all this is very rehearsed. And, and, and Bernie came off as very rehearsed. But I think Bernie... Uh, I think Bernie will go down in history favorably. He will not get the nomination. But I think Bernie will go down in history favorably as the person who brought the Democratic Party back to the left from the center. You know, because the Democratic Party has been so center, like so, I mean, Hillary Clinton was center right. You know, like that, she was not left wing. And Bernie is the guy I think that's going to go down in history is the guy that brought the, uh, brought the issue of income inequality, brought (sighs) it to the forefront of the minds of a lot of Americans. Absolutely. And if Elizabeth Warren does end up going away with this, she would definitely have him to thank for sort of paving the way of those more, I don't think that extreme ideas. No, Um, really not extreme ideas. Warren is the one that needs to... Carry the torch. Carry the torch. <laughs> and if you actually, they just did Bernie some, Sanders. They did some analytics recently about how the country has gone far to the right and just where where we are right now. And it really is. Uh, we gotta we gotta balance it back out. That's all. We just kind of the pendulum's gotta swing back, and I firmly believe it will. But just lastly, here, who spoke the most? Who spoke the least? Speaking of Andrew Yang. In this two-hour debate, he spoke for two minutes and 50 seconds. Ooh. That's got to be boring. Yeah, What do you does. do up there? It's going to hurt your feet. <laughs> Joe Biden, he spoke for 12 minutes and 53 seconds. Kamala Harris spoke for 11 minutes, 37 seconds. And then Bernie and Buttigieg uh, both spoke for 10 minutes. So they got in there. Eric Swalwell spoke for four minutes along with Marianne Williamson, um, who was just, again, my favorite little oh. fun. I just want to be like... Can I marry your daughter? You know, like, because she just seems like the funnest mom around, like, looking at crystals and all this. I, I really don't, I have no, you know, I have no uh, ill will. I it's have no funny. ill will towards any of those people on that stage. Um, but my God, biggest loser, without a doubt, I think everyone will agree, was Joe Biden. And the 10-point dip is uh, certainly an indication that the American people are quite concerned that yeah. he's not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the man, the pig who loves to fight in shit.
Uh, if he, if Joe Biden goes up against uh, Donald Trump in a debate um, with that energy, which seems to just kind of be his energy, uh, yeah. Donald Trump will fucking this He will pull his guts out in front of the world and show them to us. Was that always? But that, Biden was not that way. Biden was. He very was never. Fiery. He's never been the best debater. No, he's re- he's really because he's just not great uh, mm. off the cuff because he says dumb shit. Yeah, and of course, you know, as I ragged on uh, Kamala a little bit for being too conservative on criminal justice, uh, Joe Biden is certainly doesn't have a clean slate on that either. No, I mean, he, the man was super predator all the way. He was. I mean, we we railed against uh, the record of Bill Clinton, um, and obviously Hill, uh, Hillary Clinton being an advocate for that. Uh, the prison industrial complex was happy as hell with him, and Joe Biden, he, his hands are. Dirty as hell mm-hmm. when it comes to all of that as well. So. Yeah, and Joe Biden was also one of the authors of uh, an early draft of the Patriot Act. Yeah, like he's all he's all about taking away freedoms. Like Glass Steagall, he messed up on Glass Steagall. Glass Steagall. I mean, I mean, Joe Joe Biden is old politics, man. He he is the kind of fucking baby mm. boomer that we need gone, and we yeah. need gone fucking now. All right. Well, there it is. We will continue to watch these debates. I mean, I am like. I was really, it was fun. It was, it was so much fun. It was really fun. It was fun. And it was fun to watch it here uh, here in Australia. Absolutely. And speaking of fun, I got my documentary coming out, um, Hail Yourself America. That's going to be out really soon. So that'll be a blast. And uh, yeah, well, Marcus has got to go. Yeah. Because he, you are going to be on a fun little vacation. You're actually going to rest for a second. I hope. Yeah, we're going to Tokyo. Then we're, gonna... then we're going to Kyoto. We're having a... Is that a vacation? It's an actual vacation. Nice. It's an actual vacation. I mean, I'm still going to be doing uh, like a little bit of well, research we just because just that's, you know, my... That's that's my deal. That's your deal. That's your deal. <laughs> that's, that's my deal. That's my thing that I do. All right, everyone. We'll be right back. It's time for spring cleaning, and Quip's got an easy way to start with your brushing habits. Just two minutes twice a day can help pave the way to a healthier mouth and mind. And now the whole family can get refreshed with Quip. The new kids' Quip has the same two-minute timer and guiding pulses as our original version with no childish gimmicks, so they can brush just like a grown-up. In fact, the new kids' Quip looks and works just the same as the original brush, just sized down for smaller mouths. The kids' Quip comes with kid-friendly features like a small brush head, watermelon anti-cavity toothpaste, and rubber grip handles in colors little ones will love. And if you have kids, you know they always want to play copycat with the adults in their life. So by using a brush that looks like the ones mom and dad use, or mom and mom use, or dad and dad use, kids are inspired to brush better and more often. And mom and dad will love that Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. I personally love Quip as we travel here in the beautiful country of Australia. I have used it every day to keep my large teeth as shiny as humanly possible. That's why I love Quip and why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash tophat right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash tophat. I bet you hate commuting just as much as I do, which is why I'm so excited about today's sponsor. Instead of sitting in traffic, searching for parking, or smelling your seatmate's sandwich on the bus, imagine riding the streets, wind in your hair, on your own boosted electric vehicle. 
Boosted's vehicle-grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution to your transportation woes. With a 22-mile range and max speeds of 24 miles per hour, Boosted is perfect for both running to the store and traveling across town. Designed to provide a luxurious experience, it's no wonder that Boosted was one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2018. With five options to pick from, including their new scooter, the Boosted Rev, there's a personal electric vehicle that's tailor-made for you. Starting at $61 a month with financing, there's no better time to change how you move than now. Right now, Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the first purchase of their electric vehicle when you use code TOPHAT at checkout. Go to BoostedBoards.com and use the code TOPHAT at checkout to get $75 off your vehicle. That's BoostedBoards.com, promo code TOPHAT at checkout for $75 off. Okay, everyone, now it's just me. It's just me and you. Uh, because Marcus Parks is in beautiful Japan. He is in Tokyo, and he is in Kyoto, and I really hope he is enjoying his vacation. So just a couple of stories that I wanted to talk about that went under the radar, and I think they should have gotten just a bit more exposure. So here we go. In uh, Oregon, there was an interesting situation happening with the Republicans. So basically what happened was the Democratic Party was pushing forward a climate bill. Now, this climate bill, uh, it was, you know, obviously talking about cap and trade on emissions, uh, you know, talking about things that the Republican Party has been against forever uh, because, of course, their pockets are being lined by large corporations. Uh, both both sides are pretty uh, in deep with these large corps, but you know what I'm talking about. So because the Republicans did not like this climate bill in Oregon, they said, you know what? We're dipping on out of here. So they just left the state so they didn't have to vote on this bill. Now, the great irony of all of this, so where did they go, of course? They ended up going to Idaho. So they went to Idaho because they're like, we don't want to vote. So they dipped on out, and they were literally being guarded. This is true. This is, like, so crazy. The Republicans of Oregon were literally being guarded by a militia in Idaho so that no one could come and get them and be like, yo, come back and do your freaking jobs. But they're like, no, we're just going to hang out here with the militia members and have a good old time. And, of course, let's not forget what happened in Oregon. I believe it was the Bundy family uh, that had an armed standoff with police. One officer got shot. I'm not sure if he died or not, but that was a massive, massive situation. And um, I think it's safe to say if they weren't, oh, I don't know, Caucasian, uh, that it could have ended a lot worse for them. The old Bundy clan, they ended up getting incarcerated, many of them, uh, although the cops let it go on uh, for quite a while. Of course, these are difficult things for officers to deal with, as we learned from Waco. Uh, Cops, when you, you know, only fools rush in. There's a song. It says only fools rush in, and I'm pretty sure it's about the ATF rushing into Waco. I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking the people who wrote Only Fools Rush In, if that's even the name of the song, it's a sentence in a song, maybe they were thinking about the ATF rushing into Waco because, my goodness, didn't they look foolish as all those children were burning alive? Um, So Republicans in Oregon, they dipped on out because they're like, we're not going to vote on this cap-and-trade climate bill. 
and they ended up coming back to the state this past weekend on Saturday, I believe. They had a whole buttload, I, I think that's the professional way to call it, a whole buttload of things they had to vote on because they can't vote past Sunday's session because then they go into recess. Long story short, they come back, they got their votes, but the ultimate irony of this whole thing is that the Democratic Party, this entire time, the Republicans are out getting guarded by a militia, eating pork and beans, doing God knows what. The entire time, the Democratic Party was still one vote shy of having this climate bill pass in the first place. So basically, the Republicans went on this little redneck vacation and nothing wrong nothing I'm not demeaning the rednecks but they went on a little redneck vacation for no freaking reason they just left the state and then they're like okay fine we'll come back but the entire time the democratic party did not have the votes to pass this cap and trade uh emissions bill anyway so that is just an interesting an interesting little case here. According to uh, Senate Republican leader Herman Bortschiger, his name is literally Bortschiger Jr., he said his members returned to Salem in time for the 9 a.m. legislative session on Saturday. He said, quote, our mission of walking out of this building was to kill cap and trade. He said, I'm proud of this caucus. They didn't need to do it. So basically they just stalled the government for no reason. Isn't that interesting? It, like, can you think of another job where you can just walk out of it and then be like, no, I'm not making that ham sandwich here at Arby's. I'm walking out until the customer leaves and then I'll come back. Of course, it turns out the customer never even ordered a ham sandwich. They wanted the roast beef. Oh, good Lord. So senators now will have to sprint to the finish line to finish their work for the weekend with the legislative session uh, scheduled to end Sunday at midnight. There are more than 100 spending bills and resolutions that state that need Senate approval in that time, including state budget bills. Any bill not approved by Sunday will be dead. So there you go, guys. Government just working out perfectly for the people. Nothing better than when when people just stand up and say, I'm not doing my job. Thank you, elective officials. Thank you, elected officials, for being so mature, so smart, and so wise, and always looking out for the working people of your communities. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit. And we, we rarely get to talk about sports on this show, but anyone who knows me knows I can talk about sports forever. As a matter of fact, I should probably do, I got a wrestling podcast coming out. I should also probably just add on a full sports podcast because I can talk about sports forever. By the way, Kevin Durant just went to the Brooklyn Nets. So once again, my favorite team, the New York Knicks, are going to suck. <laughs> Can't wait. But let's talk about a team that doesn't suck. That is the U.S. women's soccer team. They are dominating the World Cup right now. And their co-captain, Megan Rapinoe, she is a beast. She is, like, out there. She's crushing. She just destroyed France. She is awesome. But, of course, Donald Trump, being Donald Trump, is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite everyone to the White House. And Megan's like, yo, bro, we don't really feel like going to get molested in the Lincoln bedroom today. So I think we're going to not go to the White House under the leadership, quote unquote, leadership of Donald Trump. So because of that, 
uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was like, all right, ladies, come and hang out with me. And let's be honest. I think all of us, even if you disagree with her politics, I think uh, hanging out with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would just be more fun because at least she's like young, uh, not a geriatric, and she doesn't just eat fast food. Not to diss on fast food. I'm a big fast food fan. That is why I am having some bad health issues. Nonetheless, so Representative Ocasio-Cortez was like, ladies, no need to go hang out with Donald Trump. Come and hang out with me. She said this on Twitter. She says, it may not be the White House, but we'd be happy to welcome the Twitter name of uh, Megan Rapinoe, M. Pinot, and the entire U.S. women's soccer team for a tour of the House of Representatives any time they'd like. So there you go. And I got to say, when it comes to pay inequality, and, you know, a lot of people— uh, the, the the conversation about pay inequality is always interesting because you have people being like, well, uh, there are some positions that just don't make as much money. Um, and so if you go into those positions like teaching, for example, you're just not going to make as much money. But then we also have to think about why is that? Why does teaching not make as much money? Is it because 78% of the, fem- uh, of the teacher workforce are female? Perhaps. I don't know. But there is no way to argue, no way to argue when it comes to pay inequality that it is fair regarding the men's U.S. soccer team and the women's U.S. soccer team. The men's U.S. soccer team make head and shoulders more than the women's U.S. soccer team. And let's be honest, who is watching them? They suck. They can't even get into the World Cup. It's pathetic. I hate watching America lose on a global stage, specifically when it comes to sports. We're supposed to be the best at sports, damn it. And the women's soccer team, when you watch them play, they do a thing called kicking fucking ass. Therefore, I believe that has to be completely flipped. It should be based on how much, how do you win? Can you win? If you win, you get the money. If you win, you get the gold. That's how it should work. So when we talk about pay inequality, it is a real phenomenon, systemic in the sense that that female-led or female-majority jobs simply do not get paid as much. So then you have that argument that's like, well, they went into nursing, they went into teaching. And then obviously these are two sort of more stereotypical female positions. I'm just using them as examples. But why is nursing or teaching, why is that paid less? Why? Uh, Is it because, again, uh, perhaps it uh, tends to cater to more of a uh, to, to females more. So uh, when it comes to the U.S. women's soccer team, they deserve all the money the boys are making because, uh, quite frankly, the men don't win and um, they suck. So that's all. If you're winning, you should get the cash. So Rapinoe is going to be hanging out perhaps uh, with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Is it the most pressing issue in Washington, D.C.? No, it's not. But these sort of symbolic gestures... I think, are healthy for a nation to get people engaged in politics, go down to Washington, and, uh, you know, the kids that are going to be watching uh, the female soccer team when they can see uh, them in Washington talking with politicians, perhaps it can spark something in the minds of a child to say, you know what, I want to get involved too. So I think it's a good thing overall. And just lastly, this story is freaking crazy. San Francisco. I don't know. I mean, everyone, man, I want to love San Francisco so bad. The history of San Francisco is so brilliant. It's vibrant. It's, you know, the the beat movement, the great music, the fun drugs, the sex and rock and roll. 
Oh, I don't know what's going on with San Francisco. They have just banned e-cigarettes. And Marcus, uh, obviously, if he was still here, he he's the one who turned me on to this story. And I was like, what, dude? They banned e-cigarettes. He's like, I would, uh, this is, I'm just paraphrasing now, Marcus, because again, he's in Tokyo and Kyoto having a wonderful time, I hope. Um, he was like, I would still, Marcus was telling me he would still be smoking almost two packs of cigarettes a day. Our boy, Marcus Parks, coughing up a lung. I don't even think we could do the podcast as much. I mean, we talk for hours and hours and hours a week. I don't think that he could do it if he was still smoking two packs a day. I mean, maybe technically his voice might be better, but is it worth the cancer? I don't think so. Um, And he's a wonderful voice the way that it is. So he said without e-cigarettes, he would still be smoking. And God knows, I think we all know the, uh, the risk of cancer exponentially raises uh, the more that you smoke cigarettes. I'm not breaking any news there. So officials voted on Tuesday to ban selling vapes and made it illegal for retailers to deliver to addresses in San Francisco. Now, of course, the point here is they say that they're targeting the youth. Well, I have a little, I don't know, I'm not a genius, but I've always thought that kids are going to find a way to do something that's a little bit rebellious. It seems to be in human DNA to challenge authority and to push uh, your longevity of life. So kids, they're saying, oh, kids are the ones who are taking on all of these vapes. Meanwhile, 40,000 people die a year. This is 40,000 people die a year. Just in California, 40,000 people die a year from tobacco products, from actual tobacco, not from vape. So the fact that they have banned this under the guise of like, oh, protecting um, our children is complete and utter nonsense. And all it's going to do is drive kids to smoking real cigarettes. You know what, San Francisco, and I don't want to be pedantic here, but clean up the shit on your streets. I mean, if you really care about the kids, why don't you take all of that money that you've given to Silicon Valley and invest it in your education? Why don't you take all of that cash that is just floating above the skies, not trickling down whatsoever, that these corporations that have ruined your city have made? The corp- Silicon Valley has ruined uh, big tech rather, has ruined San Francisco. I was just there recently uh, for Clusterfest, that Comedy Central festival, which it's cool. I don't, I don't really like comedy festivals because there, there's something off about musicians performing before comedians. For example, I think I've talked about this before. Wu-Tang Clan performed before Jon Stewart. And I'm like, I mean, and, and no diss to John Stewart. I love John Stewart and what he's doing uh, for the firefighters of 9-11, I think, is absolutely wonderful. And, the, and Congress should feel uh, completely and utterly embarrassed and ashamed that we're not taking care of the heroes of 9-11. But no way in hell should any stand-up comedian ever follow Wu-Tang. It doesn't make any sense. It's simply utterly insane. Anyway, that is my only beef with comedy festivals where they're like, no, people love comedy more than music. No, they don't. Never will. Never have. Never going to happen. As much as you try, you never go to a club and just hear George Carlin records playing as everyone dances, okay? You go to a club and you hear Wu-Tang playing and everyone dances. That's the way that works. So anyway, 
um, as I was in San Francisco, I looked up at the Twitter building and I just, I mean, I truly did feel livid. I was just getting so fucking pissed off. And then as I was doing that, I've told this story before, a man with his buddy walked down the streets. This dude drops trow and just a horsetail amount of dookie. Just, I mean, it went from his ass to, to the, the sidewalk and it did not disconnect. And then his buddy just rolled right by with him. It's just like, well, that's a normal thing. He just picked up his pants, and then he just walked on out. Obviously, there was not a sanitation wipe. Uh, so he's just walking around the streets of San Francisco with, with some nasty-ass mud-ass. Um, San Francisco has bigger issues, is what I'm trying to say, than banning e-cigarettes. It is not a good idea. It's horrible legislation and San Francisco continues to uh, price out their middle class. So you have, if you want to talk about uh, income inequality in this country, look no further than San Francisco. It is horrible. It is, it's homeless people and multi-multi-millionaires with nothing in the middle. And I tell you this, the erosion of the middle class is, is going to be the ultimate demise of our republic if we're not careful. The erosion of the middle class is going to kill America if we are not careful. That is the whole point of the middle class. It's all about upward mobility. That's the whole message. That's the whole sale of America is that you can come here, you can make it here, you can come here with with a bag on your back full of two pairs of socks, a pair of underwear and a t-shirt, and in 10, 15, 20 years, you can own your own company and you can become a successful person and you can be a successful person. That's the whole sell is upward mobility. And with the erosion of the middle class and the, the, the income gap, uh, as it increases and increases and increases on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, we are seeing uh, the ramifications of the erosion of the middle class on a day-to-day basis uh, all over uh, the country. And, of course, automation has a lot to do with that and just the, the stagnation of paychecks. You know, there's, there's so much that, has, that it has to do with. But I got to tell you, San Francisco, my God, guys, get it together. And please, just stop with this crazy legislation that is going nowhere. All it does is hurt industry, and it's going to help big tobacco. All San Francisco just did was help tobacco. So it's totally counterintuitive and completely wrong, in my personal opinion. Um, So anyway, those were just a couple of stories that I wanted to talk about. And, of course, we still got the G20 going on, and we talked about that on the top of the show. Oh, good Lord. Something's got to change in this country. That is just for sure. We cannot, we cannot continue to go down this path. And, uh, you know, I think if we, follow, if we follow the path that our listeners have, my listeners have, and ours here is just a, it's a positive path forward um, where we get the middle class back, upward mobility, and we got to have um, some true uh, economic change where people, you know, the, the hoarders, the epi- you know that TV show Hoarders? There needs to be one. With these huge, with these massive billionaire, multi, 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 multi millionaire, and I got no problem if you're a millionaire. I really don't particularly care if you're a billionaire. Um, I think that Bill Gates actually does a lot of good in the world uh, with his money. But let's be honest, um, there's a lot of billionaires that don't. Um, so we need to get something going on here and fix that massive problem, because without a middle class and without upward mobility, uh, there's going to continue to be mayhem going on in the streets, just so much civil unrest. It's only going to get worse. And I think that we have uh, a moral and uh, just a obligation to our country uh, 
to get our middle class back and get our middle class thriving once again. And we shall, folks. Um, All right, everyone. Well, those are just a couple of tales I wanted to tell. Uh, I hope everyone is doing uh, wonderful. Uh, This is the final day I'm going to be in Australia. And uh, it has been a total miracle, complete and utter blessing. Thanks to all who came out to the live shows. You guys were amazing. And again, this is a DIY process. So without you, none of this stuff is possible. And we never, ever, ever forget that. So love you all. Hope you're doing great. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.